Hey everybody, Brandon here. Uh, if you like what we're doing and you want to support us, you can do a couple things. The first is you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers, or you can join our Discord, bit.ly slash goblindiscord. If you join the Discord, uh, you can talk to us, you can talk to the folks who put together Quid Pro Roll, uh, you can talk to the Greater Goblin community about all kinds of different stuff. So check it out, bit.ly slash goblindiscord, and the Patreon is patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. Thanks! Rangers, welcome to the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. And I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. Brandon, what ranger color would you be? Uh, that's a really good question. If you'd asked me years ago, I would have said green. I lean a little bit more toward purple lately, but Green Ranger uh, classic of all time. My favorite, I think. Uh, I think just because it's my favorite color, I would probably have to be a Blue Ranger and accept mm -hmm. whatever comes with that. We can talk about all that stuff as today we discuss Power Rangers, the role playing game from Renegade Studios. I'm I'm so excited to talk about this, not just because it's Power Rangers, which obviously was a huge influence on a lot of people growing up, uh, but also because when you were reading through it and sending me messages as you were reading through it, I was like, oh, oh, this might be our saltiest episode yet. I may have oversold the salt a little bit. Like there's a lot that I like about this, but there are just some things. There are some things that are unforgivable and there are some that are like, well, I would have done that differently. But uh, before we get started, have you watched the Obi-Wan trailer that came out? I have not watched the Obi-Wan trailer. I did see that it is out. I did see somebody posted it in the Discord, uh, bit.ly slash goblin discord. And I was like, oh, I need to watch that. I I haven't yet, but I am keenly interested because Obi-Wan has been one of my all-time favorite characters even since the original trilogy. It was amazing. They're going really deep, it seems, like with um, the Clone Wars animated series and Rebels canon in it. Oh, hell yes. That's just from just from watching it because like they had Inquisitors and stuff. Yeah, well, like Inquisitors... I'm trying to think, was there an expanded universe? Were there Inquisitors in the Thrawn trilogy? Because I know a lot of, you know, Rebels and Clone Wars, a lot of the stuff that they brought in that's expanded universe stuff comes from like the Timothy Zahn books. I don't know. I don't know because I'll be honest, I have never read the Thrawn trilogy. I started reading it once and then uh, I just got busy and didn't finish it. <laughs> I was way more into the expanded universe like 20 years ago. Uh, I, I mean, now. fair. That's yeah. kind of me as well. But also, you know, I I think I have a greater power of recollection for Star Wars trivia than I do other series because it held such a near and dear place to my heart for so long. Well, as soon as we get done, you need to watch that trailer because it's pretty fantastic. And I'm I've been looking forward to this for a, a while. I will absolutely watch that. It's Ian McGregor, isn't it? Yeah. The one, okay. the one true Obi-Wan. 
I mean, fair. Well, it's not like they're not going to bring Alec Guinness back. I mean, they brought back <laughs> Peter Cushing. <laughs> okay. They brought back Carrie Fisher. <laughs> okay, but we all agreed. We all agreed that both of those were bad ideas. That all Peter Cushing. Us. That Peter Cushing looked like they pulled it out of a Nintendo sixty four game. <laughs> it was like Super Star Wars Kart sixty four. Oh God! It it wouldn't be so funny if it weren't so true. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, Ewan McGregor has done more for the Obi Wan character than uh, Alec Guinness ever did because Alec Guinness didn't necessarily really want to be Obi Wan. There was no history there, and he didn't grow up with it, and. He was in Bridge over the Bridge on the River Kwai. So <laughs> I think I think one of my favorite things is to read the journal entries and letters that Alec Guinness sent from the set of Star Wars, where mm-hmm. he's talking about the actors that he's working with, and he's basically like, "Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of really excitable kids that I'm recording things with now." <laughs> I imagine it was very much like a Michael Caine Jaws Revenge situation because he's <laughs> he was in Jaws Revenge and uh, he was interviewed about it years later. He's like, well, you know, I've never seen the film. I understand it was terrible, but the house <laughs> that it built was terrific. <laughs> I mean, credit where credit's due. Actors like Alec Guinness and Michael Caine, they show up. They they may not be all that enthusiastic about the role, but gosh, dang, do they act the hell out of it? Yeah, well, we we need to do a series of episodes on Obi-Wan after it comes out. We can do reviews on that. Oh, hell yes. I'm, I am 100 percent down for that. OK, but for now, we'll talk about Power Rangers. <laughs> Let's after talk that about slight detour. Power Rangers. Um, so, yeah, so I got the book um, last week. Um, it was at Alpha for me. Alex put it behind the counter. Uh, it has a minor defect on it that I said I wasn't too worried about. But I picked it up, and then immediately that day, I took it and started reading through it. I've read through a lot of it. I, I have not read every single page of it because it's like 250 pages. But I've read enough to sort of understand things. I was really excited about this because I remember when they announced this, I feel like it was like two years ago at this point that they said they'd partnered with Hasbro to put out a Power Rangers game, which at the time was advertised as being built on 5e. It was just going to be straight up 5e compatibility. And I was excited slash trepidatious about that because I was excited because I like I like the theoretical idea of being able to take sort of the 5e system template and apply it to other things because it's very easy to learn and a lot of people already know it so that's nice on the flip side of that though on the other side of the power coin is that i hate when you they try to take 5e and just mash square peg into round hole it with something that doesn't necessarily fit like you know doing a space conversion or something on it like yeah you know the whole the whole thing really holds up you know we've managed to break this and that and twist this and that to make it work for that and it it takes a lot of the elegance out of the system design so i don't like that well we we talked about this during our episode where we were talking about push and the beauty and elegance of push as a system being something that you can twist and mold to fit whatever you need where it's like 
if you start breaking a system to make that system work, you're not really using that system as its intended purpose. And the more you break it, the more you may as well have just made your own system to begin with. And we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. I want to just sort of run through uh, just sort of an overview of it real quick. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. You know, I'm 40 years old. I was probably on the older end of kids when Power Rangers came out. Like I was still very much a kid. I was like in fifth or sixth grade or something when it premiered an adult fan of it. Uh, I don't go back really and watch like old seasons or anything like that. Cause the writing's terrible. <laughs> it's a non, <laughs> it's a non-union shop. Um, that's part of the reason that they moved production to New Zealand after a point. Oh, it's, there's a lot of awful about Power Rangers, especially in, in the very beginning. And then uh, right around when like Saban lost control of it, it just wasn't good. And I could go into that a little bit more in a minute. But at that point, I got into like the original Super Sentai from which it was adapted. And it's way easier to watch that um, because the language barrier, because I watch it in subtitles because it's in Japanese. Uh, the language barrier hides a lot of the bad writing. <laughs> It makes me feel less dumb for watching it, but I really enjoy that. I've always wanted to have like a really good Power Rangers RPG system. I had started trying to put something together with Fate Core a couple years ago, and then the pandemic hit and we didn't get to uh, do that because I wanted to do it as a podcast and I haven't just haven't circled back around on it yet. Uh, So I was really super excited about this because my thinking at the time was they were going to let you essentially choose your colors, choose the theme for your team because, you know, every Power Rangers team has uh, sort of a different theme or totem or something, whether it be dinosaurs or cars or ancient power crystals um, or like space energy or something like that. Uh, And when you get into the Japanese Super Sentai, there's like a whole other host of things like that, even pirates and things. It's really cool. So I was thinking it would be very sort of a a loose, unstructured way of building things. And you could choose whatever kind of color you want. And you would uh, maybe stick a little bit with the color archetypes, because especially in the Japanese series, like blue is usually either like a a science guy or a second in command guy. Black is often a second in command person, very practical person. You know, red's always more or less the leader if with some exceptions like Time Ranger and things like that, which was adapted in the US as Time Force like 22 years ago at this point. Anyway, so that's what I was expecting. I was was expecting like, okay, well, if our team's going to be themed like this, we'll be able to make a team of Zords that's like this and they might have some generic stats you can plug in and then you can just sort of reflavor however you wanted. And they didn't actually do it like that. It ended up being a lot more structured and tied a lot more tightly to the source material. This is basically... Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the role-playing game. And the distinction there is that it's almost specifically about the first three seasons of the original Power Rangers. They have, you know, because after that came Zeo, and then came Turbo, and then came In Space. The first six years of Power Rangers is sort of collectively referred to as the Zordon era. And that's all that this focuses on. So so this is like... 
this isn't even really like a Super Sentai system. This is really specifically just Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and just that first few seasons where they're like they're in Angel Grove, they're high schoolers. Yeah. Yes and no. Yes. In that that is explicitly what they have written in the core rules. And I can't fault them for that because you've got people like me who are 40 years old, who 25, 26, 27, 28 years ago were watching that. And now I've got money to spend. So yes, I'm going to buy this. (laughs) But if you wanted to, you could decouple a lot of this, um, sort of strip out the skeleton and use it for whatever you wanted. Like if you wanted to adapt, like, I don't know, Chojin Sentai Jetman or something like that from Japan, uh, which was the season before Kyoryu Sentai Zhu Ranger, which was adapted into Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So that's like 1991. But so you could strip out all the specific stuff and do that. You would just sort of find yourself in a position where you had to screw around with the stats for the Zords and monsters and things like that. This this sounds to me like they broke something to build something new, but they didn't break it enough to build something new enough for us to do all of the things we might want to do. And so we have to do more breaking if we want to do very specific things. Yeah. And that's the thing. And what you're getting at is the fact that while it was originally announced as fifth edition compatible, like what, what did you discover? Because I got it. And I started reading it and I was like, hey, wasn't this supposed to be 5e? And then you looked around and you found a press release from like late last year. I feel like like. it was like end of October last year that they put out an announcement um, where Renegade Studios was like, yeah, we were going to use 5e. 5e is what we started with. But we realized that we should take a slightly different direction to really suit the game. and. I can't remember if it was speculation because you and I did a lot of talking that same day. I can't remember if it was speculation that we had or if it was in the news article that it was like they also have like a G.I. Joe game coming, a Transformers game coming. Oh, no, no, that's that's definitely happening. They definitely have a Transformers and G.I. Joe game coming out. But if that was part of the reason for them deciding to do their own system as opposed to sticking to 5e. Yeah, because this came, this just came out like a month or so ago, right? Like, yeah, this is super recent. Yeah, because the copyright on here is 2021. But uh, if it came out in 2021, it was like at the tail end of December, because I know I know the stores didn't get it until February. Yeah, so the news release was October. It was late October. And then for this game to come out, not even a full three months later. Yeah, it came out the release. I think the official release date was January 26th. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't if they had made that decision to make that change and they had made it in the production process where they were like, okay, you know what? Like, this isn't fitting us right. We need to do something different. I don't see how you make that decision and make that announcement. And then three months later, release your game still. The announcement was that they were going to go from using 5e as their primary system to creating their own system to use. And I know for a fact that you and I at the very least had speculated that this was because they were also doing Transformers and G.I. Joe. Yeah, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, it makes sense that if they're going to be releasing essentially like 
classic kids franchises RPGs as sort of an umbrella to put them all under the same system. Um, but then again, you know, with Power Rangers, you're hitting 90s kids. With um, Transformers and G.I. Joe, you're really hitting 80s kids. You know, and 80s kids are my age. Um, 90s kids are your age. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense from that perspective, but also, I mean, they're dealing with Hasbro one way or the other. These are all Hasbro properties, and Hasbro owns Watsy, and Watsy makes 5e. It just seems really weird not to release all of that under 5e. But I guess kind of like when you and I were talking the other day, you're like, I guess they just broke 5e so much trying to make this work that they realized it was better to just set some things on fire and start something new. I mean, there there hits a point where you're like, I have broken this in so many places that it is no longer the base platform I was building from. Yeah. But, but the thing that confuses me is that the more you described the system, the more it sounded like it was still basically 5E. Yeah, it's it's it feels to me like 5E with a different coat of paint instead of uh, six ability stats. It's got four. Which four does it have? It's got strength, speed, which is essentially dex smarts which is int and then social which is uh, more or less charisma i guess if you throw it's got strength speed so it's basically like if you took con out of the picture mm -hmm. you put wisdom and int into one stat which has been done in many other systems yeah uh yeah, and uh, you know, Khan is kind of a part of strength now. It's got a t there's like a toughness box in there, and another thing is each there's no like global armor class for you. Each one of your stats has its own individual armor class. Uh, if you were doing something that was strength based, or somebody was attacking you strength wise, you would roll your uh, armor class. They'd have to beat your armor class on strength. If they were trying to outsmart you, you'd have to they would have to beat it on smarts if they were like socially attacking you, like trying to make fun of you or something like that or trick you. Uh, Cause cleverness is sort of a substat of uh, social. Then you would roll against that. And that kind of makes sense. You know, it's essentially a saving throw mechanic almost for individual stats. That feels very betrayal at the house on haunted Hill to me. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, Oh, I'm going to attack your smarts basically. Mm-hmm. And then another similarity is when you go to fill out your stats, it's a point by, uh, and they also have their own standard array that they suggest you use, like four three two two or something like that. Okay, so like they have their own standard. That's, I mean, that makes sense. I figure that's that's pretty yeah. standard stuff. Yeah, I just I expected something dice based for that. Like you certainly can roll for it. But oh, yeah, you certainly could, but they throw out the standard array. It's it's really focusing on the um, point by and the standard array because you essentially have 12 essence points that you can assign among all of them. And they recommend you spend it as like four, three, three and two, not four, three, two and two. Um, so they want you to do a point by. But, you know, reading through it, there's no reason you couldn't roll for it, you know? 
I mean, that's reasonable. I I feel like last time I looked at the player's handbook, it encouraged you to use point by or a standard array as well. It does. Because because it's like, oh, well, it's less random this way. You'll get a more yeah. balanced character that's more well, good yeah. at more things. And if you rolled 1d4 for all of these, um, <laughs> you could like you could end up with one of those D&D characters that has like three 18s or something. So. Yeah, it might create a super ranger or a terrible ranger um, if you do it that way. But again, right. that's just another that's just another like parallel with 5e that I just find it funny that it's not 5e, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like the again, the more we talk about this, the more it's like, how much did you actually break 5e? in order to reach the point you're at? Because it doesn't seem like you're like a stone's throw away right now. Mm hmm. Like, this is same neighborhood stuff, man. Yeah. And then as far as uh, the rest of character creation, it's pretty much what you would expect. There's nothing upsetting about it or anything. Um, everybody's presumed to be human, so there's nothing like races or anything like that. So it's basically class and subclass. So your class is your archetype. Are you the athlete? Are you the smart kid? Are you the oddball? Uh, things like that. And then... Essentially, your subclass is your ranger color because uh, there are different themes, attitudes, values that are assigned to the different colors. So you've got your choice of red, black, blue, yellow, pink, or green. And then there's also a white ranger, but that's in its own separate thing that we can talk about in uh, just a little bit. This is kind of where I was coming from earlier when I was saying everything was a little bit too proscriptive about how they wanted to do things like there there are certain tropes you can't get away from like red's the leader but they're for black blue green pink red and yellow there are descriptions for all of them and each one of them have their own modifiers so like black is uh, a charming personality uh who's a skilled warrior and tries to be the glue that keeps the team together blue is like a technology expert green uh excels at surviving against all odds Pink is a sharpshooter, uh, always aware of the surroundings. Red's a strong, noble fighting spirit and always leads from the front. And yellow is fast and nimble and can exploit enemy weaknesses. And like I said, they all have modifiers, which here are called essence adjustments, like plus two to social, plus one to strength, plus one to speed. Um, interestingly, none of them have negative modifiers. So it's all just to make it better, which if you're making a superhero, that makes sense. I kind of like strengths and weaknesses to different characters um, mm -hmm. as opposed to just strengths. But, you know, like that's that is what it is. But I've only watched so much Power Rangers. How true are these archetypes to the colors? Like, is this is this a system that exists within the universe where it's like, oh, yeah, like Zordon can tell that you're really more of a leader type. So that's why you're the Red Ranger. Not like explicitly. Really, and some of these don't make any sense, like pink being a sharpshooter, always aware of their surroundings. I don't really think that has any basis in Power Rangers canon, really. It just kind of fits <laughs> because in Mighty Morphin, Kimberly had a bow and arrow as her weapon. So that's why they've pegged her as a sharpshooter. Interesting direction to take that. Yeah, you know, usually, usually in more modern Super Sentai, the, the Green Ranger is often either super serious or comedic. So not at all really... Uh, necessarily like Tommy was in terms of being evil and turning to good and being kind of a loner and stuff like that. 
so there's a, a mix of yeah some of these make sense no some of them kind of don't and they were clearly put in there just because they needed to fill a description another interesting thing is that each uh different color has a different growth curve essentially it's like power capacity growth like black is slow blue is fast green is moderate um yellow is moderate uh so everybody i think sort of gains skill points at a different level now is that like everybody maxes out at about the same point are there benefits to being a slower growing character or is that explored in the book if it was explored in the book, it wasn't something that was easily able for me to see and understand while I was reading through it. Now, to sort of your first part of that question, everybody maxes out essentially at level 20, which is another sort of D&D analog because you know, yeah. you're getting like legendary status at that point. Whatever your ranger color is, prime. Like when uh, Black Ranger reaches level 20, he's Black Ranger prime. There are perks, which are essentially class features uh, that you get on level ups. Uh, and there are also skills that you get. So there's essentially feats and skills. Uh, and a lot of the character, I, I want to say character descriptions, but it's not character descriptions. The sort of uh, class description, subclass descriptions for the, the ranger colors feel very much uh, original Power Rangers, like the Black Ranger talking about it being uh, somebody who likes to dance and sing, like Zach did, like Billy the Blue Ranger being the real technical person which is not really true for a lot of Sentai. And I like I can hear myself talking. So those of you listening, yes, I understand that I very much sound like a guy who hasn't left his parents' basement in a long time criticizing <laughs> Power Rangers. But I've watched it for a long time, and I, I know a little bit about the franchise, so some things rub me the wrong way. I'm just amazed you haven't had to push your glasses up your nose more frequently while we've been having this conversation. I know. Uh, I, well, I didn't shave this morning, so my neck is showing a bit of a beard. So no, it's fitting. no. <laughs> uh, more, more to the point, though. This is this is something that I took issue with fairly early in our conversations, and I think I will continue to take issue with more and more as we get deeper into how this works. Which is, this game should work fine for any Super Sentai game without needing to break it further. Correct. This game, like, even if even if you want to rule out the Japanese Super Sentai and you just want to do American Super Sentai, just do Power Rangers franchises, this core rulebook, you shouldn't need supplementary stuff to do Time Rangers or, you know, Dinosaur Rangers or whatever you want to do. Like, you should be able to do all of that with very little manipulation necessary. Yeah, and powers and stuff that you get as part of leveling up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not necessarily tied to like, oh, well, you know, you're a dinosaur ranger, so it's all got dinosaur powers. It's all very neutral on that, and you could adapt it other ways. Um, like, for example, you know, at level six, you get a feature on your Zord. Uh, on level three, you actually get your Zord. Uh, on level, let's see, 16, you get to pick a perk and then you get a grid power, which is some other thing that you like source from your power. Uh, now that's something that could be thematic uh, to what you're doing. And I, I didn't see it, but I would have liked to have seen included sort of like a power builder that would let you take a theme and workshop uh, some sort of special power to go with it. Like if you wanted to do time ranger or something like that. I mean, that's, that's kind of my point is that 
it doesn't seem like they've structured it quite enough for you to have all the tools you need to do anything you wanted to do mm-hmm. in the Power Rangers universe. Right. It's and things- I, you know, some of that's probably by design. I, yeah, I get that, but like, I don't know. I don't, this is already something which felt like it was being built out to be on top of 5e. Mm-hmm. And so to have it be its own core thing, and then they want to do more 5e type expansions on top of it. Like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do within the Power Rangers universe without limiting people as far as like, oh, what was your favorite series? Well, you can play that series in this in this rule set. Yeah, again, because I don't want it to sound like I'm crapping all over this because I'm not. That seems like definitely they have designed it so that that is a way it can be played, especially maybe for younger players who might not want to sit down and think through the creativity of coming up with your own full built out team with a a theme and a history and a backstory and everything. I, you know, you, you can do that. They just make it way easier to play it the lazy way. Um, And talking about expansions and things, you know, then we get to talking about the white Ranger because the basic colors are, you know, the red, blue, yellow, black, pink, green, uh, the, the initial team. Uh, in the first year. But, you know, people also remember uh, Tommy lost his powers and he became the White Ranger. Zordon made a new power coin for him. You know, behind the scenes, that's because there was only so much Japanese footage of the Green Ranger and they ran out of it. And they ran out of footage from Zhu Ranger, so they had to move to the next series. And they started using the Zords from uh, Die Ranger. And uh, the White Ranger in Power Rangers is actually the sixth Ranger in Die Ranger. They just never used the other costumes from Die Ranger because they were afraid that kids wouldn't understand it was the same thing. Oh, my God. It wasn't until Power Rangers Zeo that they just had to throw their hands up and be like, we got to We got to If we don't want to shoot any more, any more original footage, we're just going to have to go with these other suits and people <laughs> will get it. And that's why they kept um, the cast that was there at the time as a as a bridge for it. Because they ran out of Zhu Ranger stuff after a certain point, because there were only, there were like 50, 48, 50 episodes of Zhu Ranger in Japan. But they only essentially were able to cut that down to maybe 26 episodes worth of usable footage just because of various reasons. And they ended up having to call Toei and hire them to shoot brand new footage in the like battle footage in the Zhu Ranger costumes, like years after the show had wrapped up in Japan. So Saban hired them to build out essentially a second shooting unit. And they were just like, here, just make some monsters, get people back, get suit actors back in these costumes and just shoot more footage of this. That's kind of amazing though. Like, can you imagine being like, okay, well, we finished our shoot for all of the Zhu Ranger series. And then you're like, man, hanging up this suit, like hanging up those those regular paychecks. Like, I guess I'll we'll see what comes next down the pipeline. You get a call two years later that's like, we need you back for one more job. Like, <laughs> I, guarantee, I guarantee you that did not happen because Toei is a massive company that has been doing this stuff since like the 70s. So they just have a bunch of suit actors. They're like, you put on the red suit. Let's go. <laughs> But anyway, getting back to my point, so the reason the White Ranger looks different from all the other original Rangers is because it's an outfit from an entirely different Sentai team full of different people. So anyway, 
they have the basic spectrum of colors in this book. And then they have the advanced ranger spectrum where you're supposed to be able to get other colors like the silver rangers are popular, gold rangers. Uh, there are several purple rangers now. Um, they also mentioned the phantom ranger, which was not actually a power ranger originally, but that's a whole other story. Because I also have a complaint about how they're lumping extra heroes, which is a whole different distinction of, of Sentai hero in with Power Rangers just because of color similarity. But that's just a real nerd argument that I don't want to get into right now. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, so it's like, oh, you know, the advanced Ranger spectrum, you, it's essentially a multi-class option for you. You can start as a Ranger from the advanced spectrum. White is the only one they have in the book now. Or your character could essentially trade in level up points later and essentially multi-class and convert themselves over to a different color ranger with different powers and stuff that just sounds like the old 3.5 and what 4e i think had them as well the prestige subclasses where it'd be like oh you've reached a certain level of fighter so you can be a champion now i mean kind of yeah but also you can start out this way if you want and that's fine i just i i do not feel a need to create a whole different sort of class of ranger for these other colors because it's not like red, blue, yellow, black, and pink are the only base colors for any ranger team ever. Like, they're, they're in the mix there, but colors change from various team to team. Um, really, what they're doing here is they're trying to emulate the sixth ranger thing where, like, later on in the series... Whether it's a, a three-person Sentai team, they get a fourth or a fourth and a fifth, or a five-person team gets a sixth. They're trying to emulate that, but it just feels a little weird. And I'll tell you the reason I think it feels weird. It's not necessarily because it's there. It's because in this particular core rule book, in this release of it, it feels very tacked on because they have this whole thing about the advanced ranger spectrum, and they even call out different colors like silver and gold and purple, etc. And then all they have in here is the white ranger. It feels like it feels like one of two things. The thing that it probably is, which is we're going to have a sixth ranger supplement coming out and we want people to pay $30 for it. Or gosh, we really need to put something in there about the white ranger because people remember them. Uh, but we don't really have time to flesh out an entire section for sort of these different advanced colors. <laughs> Somebody's like, Hey, did Tim ever finish that section on white Rangers? I don't know. Hey, Tim, did you ever finish that? Oh, hell, I was supposed to do a section on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels a little bit like that. I would have put, in, if, if I were going to be releasing a supplement for it, I would have released, I would have put like two or three in here and then said, Hey, we'll have more in the next supplement rather than just here's one. The rest is going to be in the next supplement. Cause you can have, like, the, when that supplement comes out, it can have all kinds of like sixth and fourth and fifth ranger type stuff, depending on the size of the team. It can have extra hero stuff and extra heroes are people who can like function as sixth rangers within the story, but their powers or costume are very, very, very different from the core team. So yeah. they're like an, an ally, like signal man is a good, is a good uh, example of that in power rangers turbo. He was called the, the blue centurion i think but in japanese car ranger he was signal man from like the police planet and he was he had come to earth to stop a motorcycle gang and give them tickets but oh my god in this book they lump him in in a picture with the blue rangers but he's not a ranger he's an extra hero i, uh, I, I was about I, to say and my rant's over but it's not <laughs> 
this rant has a little ways to go. I think I think this actually is kind of getting to the point of what annoys me about how this is all set up is Mm -hmm. the supplement stuff should be things like here are ways that you could play the villains and have a villain campaign. Here are ways that you could have additional heroes such as Signal Man or and I I realize there's a ton of characters like that in Super Sentai for sure and I'm almost positive that a lot of that got translated over to the American version at some point under some guys. Mm-hmm. Have your supplements be stuff like that. Don't have your supplements be stuff like being able to make the team you want with the rules they've set out for you. You know, get, getting away a little bit from my frustration with uh, the character creation and stuff. Uh, leveling up lets you, it's, it's kind of interesting how they do it because I've never played a system that does this, but you level up in, a, in specific skills and that lets you increase your die roll with that skill. Uh, like you start with a D20, but you buy more levels in that skill so you can roll a D2, a D4, a D6 sort of as additional skill with it. That's interesting because it takes your range from a 1 to 20 to a 2 to 22 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can get all the way up to like a D, an additional D12 with it, I think. Oh, dang. Because remember, like it's designed to go up to like level 20. Right. And, and become like the best ranger ever, essentially. <laughs> the most powerful ranger. It all The whole character creation thing it feels really kind of on rails. You know, we sort of talked about that before, how they're really like holding your hand and trying to guide you through how you should align this close to the, you know, first few seasons of Power Rangers. That made me feel like they were targeting it to a younger audience. And that made me feel like, why didn't they just stick with 5e? Because there are already so many resources for learning that system, especially if you're trying to get young kids into the hobby. So... I'm really not sure what the thinking was there. If you're going for an older audience and there's a good argument for the fact that they're going for an older audience because they're focusing on the, the Zordon era, which was the first six years of Power Rangers, which is what people my age remember. I would have expected more of a Pathfinder 2E style of sort of mix and match character creation where you can be a lot more self-directed with it, which is what I was wanting out of this and just didn't get. I'm wondering if this is a situation where they were building out character creation and kind of like them deciding that they were going to break from 5e, they didn't have enough stuff to really fill out a full like 5e skills list. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, what don't we have enough of? And they're like, well, you know, con stuff and wisdom stuff and things like that. So let's, what if we just squished that stuff together into these stats and then we don't have to worry about skills so much for those things because you've got all these other skills instead. Yeah. Yeah. And that may be the case. We're just speculating. We have no idea. But I mean, we certainly weren't on the floor helping design this or we wouldn't yeah. be so mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about designing and editing this book, if I had, you know, everything I've just talked about. Yeah, I've been a little bit critical of it, but. On balance, I really like this. I'm really excited to actually run a game in this um, just because I want to I want to experiment with it. I want to see if I can take it and sort of bend it in the ways that I want to based on some of the things I thought I was going to be able to do, but actually I'm not. So 
if I say if if you stop listening after this, I at least want to say I'm excited about this and I'm really pleased that this book is here. That being said, I'm going to put on I'm going to put on my editor's hat that I earned while working for 15 years as a newspaper editor and talk about what looks like sloppy editing and hasty production in this book. And I got a list to talk about. The copy editing is sloppy. I found misplaced words here and there and a ton of incorrect uses of its. You would see a possessive its where there needed to be a non-possessive its, but much more common was IT apostrophe S whenever there needed to be a possessive its. My phone does that to me all the time. It drives me crazy. It is like nails on a chalkboard for an editor (laughs) seeing that kind of thing that an adult that has uh, read several books and perhaps graduated from college can, can professionally edit and still make those mistakes is insane. The, the it's it stuff is only in some chapters and there's three listed authors. So I'm thinking that one of them has that as an idiosyncrasy of their writing and just nobody caught it. Some of the spellings that I ran into indicated a writer that, that it is native with British English rather than American English. So I even was like, maybe there's some sort of idiomatic British expression where they reverse the it's and it's or just use it more interchangeably. But I could not find anything like that to back that up. And again, I'm coming at this as somebody who used to edit for a living on deadline. It is an incredibly sloppy error and it is unacceptable in a professionally produced book that people are paying more than $50 for. One of the authors is also listed as the editor. And that person is also listed as the senior producer of role-playing games for the company. So I'm wondering if they were just overworked. You know, in the publishing industry, editor doesn't always mean copy editor. So they may have farmed that work out to a less qualified and or cheaper person to do it. Now, now hold on, Brandon. A yes. book where they decided to uh, make an announcement that they were changing the entire system that they were basing everything on less than three months before release. You're telling me that was potentially hastily put together? I mean, you know, <laughs> I thought about that. I thought about that. And it 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 really only sort of adds a little bit of credence to the argument that maybe they had to slapdash this together late in the process. Because um, there are other indications that not just is, that the editing is sloppy, but that the book was done hastily from a layout perspective. Because I also was a layout editor. I was the design editor of the Richmond Times-Dispatch for five years. So not only did I spend more than a decade doing this kind of work, I managed people who did this kind of work. There's excessive tracking and kerning, which is adjusting the space between words and letters to scrunch them up, to make things fit. And it may not be something that's obvious to like a layperson that's just reading through it. But for me, I can read type and immediately see when it has been overcurrent or overtracked. And the answer to that is to either adjust your layout so you don't have to do that or edit it or rewrite it to fit. So you don't have to do that. The answer is never current it back to like negative 40 or 50. You and I have written some adventures together where you were like, hey, this paragraph is great, but I need you to lose like four words so that Mm -hmm. it fits on the layout right. Like, yeah, this is not a hard thing to do, folks. This is not something that takes a rocket scientist to accomplish. It literally is just look at the aesthetic of the page and go, 
oh, this needs fixing, and then fix it, which admittedly takes time. And if you're already under a deadline crunch, you may not feel like you have time to do stuff like that. Right. And that's, from a layperson point of view, that's a real nitpick because a lot of people will read through there and they'll never see anything like that. But the bottom line is people are getting paid to do this in a professional setting and they should be doing it as well as they can. And it didn't feel to me like they were. Well, and the the other point I would make there is that you and I don't look at these books from the perspective of lay people or else why is anyone listening to this podcast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then um, this is less like a production problem and more like a planning problem. Uh, and I guess I should put problem in quotes because it's not really a problem. It's just an irritant. But like I was saying about the advanced spectrum rangers you know there was a line in there like well we just got the white ranger now but um you know it, future supplements will have more you know more options for that and i don't i don't really like that if you're going to say something like that you need to have a specific announced named supplement preferably with a release target that you can say like hey coming in q3 of 2022 or even just planned for q3 of 2022 will have the Advanced Spectrum Rangers, and Extra Heroes expansion. So keep an eye out for that, and we'll have a lot more options for this. I would have, if they would have done that, that would have satisfied my criticism there, because just vague promises do not fill me with confidence in these even, situations. Even better, have a QR code on that page that'll take you to a website where you can get part of that release digitally for free because you've already bought this book. That's a good idea. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hope this does well enough that we get that expansion. We get an extra heroes expansion and then we get an expansion with metal heroes and common riders in America. Metal heroes, you, you're most probably familiar with them from VR troopers uh, that came out right around Power Rangers, but was never as popular as it. But they're essentially humans who can turn into like armored heroes. And it was a very popular tokusatsu franchise in Japan that nowadays sort of works in concert along with Super Sentai and with Kamen Riders, which is the masked sort of bug-themed motorcycle riding superheroes that usually operate solo. I was just about to ask, where does Big Bad Beetleborgs fit on this particular chain? Big Bad Beetleborgs is a metal hero. That's what I, based on what you described, that's what I was thinking. So I'm glad my Big Bad Beetleborgs was, right was on. based on uh, Juco B-Fighter. And I forget what season two of Beetleborgs was based on, but it was the B-Fighter series. And Beetleborgs was actually really popular in America. And but they canceled it after two seasons because they ran out of footage. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing about metal heroes, especially when we're getting into that like late 80s, early 90s period for Metal Heroes, it started getting weird. Like B-Fighter and Juco B-Fighter, which I think were the two series, they ran back to back, um, year, one after the other uh, over a course of two years. And that's where Big Bad Beetleborgs came from and Beetleborgs Metallics. But like the one after that had these weird, cute, big-eyed robots. And there was just absolutely no way you're going to be able to write that in and make it work as an adaptation for an American audience. Something that's always been a little bit of a struggle for me when it comes to this sort of stuff is those series got big enough and had enough of a following. Part of the reason Super Sentai shows exist in Japan is because they're not that hard to make. Like the actors 
can be kind of subpar actors. The martial artists need to be reasonably talented at what they do, but you can, because they're all in suits that completely cover them, you can swap out if you need to change martial artists, if somebody gets injured, if somebody's got, you know, health problems, if they retire, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you can get other martial artists to take over that suit. America didn't have a shortage of stunt people then. Why did we not just make our own suits? Like Because it would have... It would have just killed the profit margin. (laughs) I mean, that's the answer. There's talk now. There's talk now that they're going to stop adapting the Japanese series and just start making like original US based content for that, which I'll be interested to see. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of talk like that Shinkenger wouldn't be adapted to the US. This was back in like 2009 because kanji writing was the entire theme of the whole thing Uh, but no it got adapted to power ranger samurai which was bad but uh they changed instead of calling it kanji they were like symbols of power or something like that (laughs) something silly there's one that came out a few years ago called tokyuger and it's based on japanese high-speed trains it doesn't really translate to the u.s very well is this the show where the Zord has a big train coming right out of the base of its torso and it almost looks like a little too phallic for real reality? Yes, but it doesn't always look like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but anyways, that was a really good show. I've completely lost the thread from what we were talking about. We were talking about <laughs> Metal Heroes and Common Riders. We're- oh, because I was talking about that expansion. Yeah, there's, lo- there's tons of material from the um, tokusatsu genre that you could put in there like and there's also stuff like ultraman but Ultraman's actually owned by a different company um so that's why it's not part of super sentai metal hero common rider sort of triumvirate there though it would be interesting to see more crossover between those because the concept behind things like ultraman aren't so dissimilar like it's the hero themselves grows very large to fight the giant creatures as opposed to jumping into a giant robot. But like I could see like making a story where there's like a team up element maybe uh, Mm -hmm. and where one player is playing the Ultraman style character where everybody else is playing Power Rangers style characters. I could even see where you've got now, obviously this is something game masters can do on their own you could have a character who is the Ultraman character and is just an NPC. Josh, I'll tell you something. Because in Japan, in the last 10 years, they've started weaving the stories between Metal Heroes and Super Sentai and Kamen Rider a lot closer. They all have their own independent shows, except for Metal Heroes, which usually just show up in other people's shows. But anyways, every year, they have a big movie event called Superhero Tyson, and it's where all the metal heroes and all the common riders and all the super sentai get together and fight some massive bad guy and their oh, army. Hell yes. Yeah. So what you're telling me is that Japan has been doing the Avengers series for a lot longer. <laughs> they have. Did you know? <laughs> did you know that the only reason Power Rangers exists is because of Spider-Man? I did not know this. Yes. The reason that. All right. So. This is kind of a story and we, you know, we're running long, but I don't care because we still have more to talk about in this book, but I want to <laughs> tell this while I'm thinking about it. But yeah, so you're familiar with the Japanese Spider-Man show? Yes. Spider-Man gets his power from an alien. Uh, he calls himself the emissary, Spider-Man, the emissary of hell. 
he has a giant robot called Leopardon. If you haven't watched it, uh, Mr. Sunday Movies uh, on YouTube has a great like 30-minute thing on uh, Japanese Spider-Man. Uh, it's for their Caravan of Garbage series. You should absolutely watch it because it's hilarious. <laughs> but anyways, back in the 70s, Toei and uh, the company that produces Super Sentai had a deal like with Marvel Comics and so where they were allowed to use each other's properties. So um, they, uh, if I, Marvel adapted some Toei property that sort of has not survived the rigors of history. It wasn't, po- it's not popular now, so I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was like a short, a short-lived comic that they did. Um, Toei took Spider-Man and created the um, Japanese Spider-Man show. Now, there had been Sentai series before that. There was... Um, Go Ranger, which was the first one back in like 1975. And then there was uh, Jack, J-A-K-Q, which was about androids that transform. And it, uh, those were originally just called Sentai. They weren't Super Sentai because they didn't have giant robots that got in. That didn't come until Battle Fever J, which was the third one. But so there was Go Ranger. Then there was Jack. Then there was Japanese Spider-Man. And because Japanese Spider-Man had this big transforming robot, Toei was like, wow, people love this big transforming robot. So then they started incorporating it into all their other Sentai series. So when Battle Fever J came out, they had a giant robot. It wasn't a transforming robot, but it was a giant robot. And then Denji Man came out and they had a giant robot. And that's just where that came from. And that eventually evolved into the Super Sentai we sort of know today. You get sort of into like, five man and live man and then jet man and everything starts to feel a little bit more familiar and then right after that is you ranger and that's where power rangers for the u.s sort of kicks off with that being adapted into mighty Morphin. so if it weren't for marvel and toei signing that deal for toei to adapt spider-man then we would never have power rangers and giant robots today because that's where that came from that's so amazing i'm so glad we took the time for that honestly Every time you and I sit down and talk on something like this, I'm like, why hasn't Brandon done a panel on this yet? God, it'd be such a good panel. I'm an enthusiastic amateur about this stuff. <laughs> That's why. If any, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But yeah, that um, Caravan of Garbage on Japanese Spider-Man is just fantastic. So we've got Spider-Man and his giant robot. So that's a pretty good entry point into talking about the other giant robots, you know, the Zords. <laughs> Because that's part of this, too. And I've always uh, wondered how a game like this was going to handle sort of the two levels of combat and interaction that you have to do, because you have to do on the ground fighting, and then you all have to join into this big gestalt robot that you all have to sort of take turns controlling. Well, it's almost like three levels, right? Because you've got the like ground level hand to hand, you know, kicks and punches and shooting your bow and arrow. Then you've got the vehicle level where it's like Zords running at each other. And then you've got the third, which would be like the Mega Zord, like everything combining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how they handled this. Talked a little bit about how I wish they had done a bit more of a freeform character creation. They sort of meet me in the middle on the Zords on this because it talks about how, oh, um, you know, because of the way the morphing grid is and how it controls all that energy it's possible for Zords from different teams to be able to merge together into something. So even though it's specifically talking about the Zords just from the first six seasons of Power Rangers, it's uh, 
it's like, oh, well, they, you can, you know, one of you can have a Battleborg from Mighty Morphin Alien Rangers. Another one of you can have um, the Astro, like part of the Astro Megaship or something from Power Rangers in Space. Another can have one of the Zeozords. And you all can figure out how they merge together to create a thing, which, okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at least it's like finally some freedom in this system. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it just goes back to the on rails nature of it, I feel like, because instead of saying, oh, well, you could take these defined zords from something that's, you know, already come out and figure out how to make them work together. Or here's a stat block for like this zord is going to be the core body of the megazord. This one is going to be the left leg. This one's going to be the right arm. You put whatever kind of theme or reskin you want on it, this is going to be sort of a neutral template for this that you can mess with. I kept asking for more freedom, and this seems like more freedom, although, like, are the Zords at all really different? I mean, yeah, they have baseline stat blocks, uh, but then you get modifiers depending on your color spectrum. So all of them are customizable to a certain extent. So they've got some specificity now when it comes to like how the zords are statted out it's so it's based on color spectrum but they're also customizable like how how customizable are we talking they have their own feats essentially that you can put on them the zords level up for every five levels you level up they level up one okay yeah yeah so they they move along with you if you look at a stat block for one of the Zords, it's got their movement, it's got their size, it's got their health. I mean, it's, you know, 5e is in the DNA on this, so you can imagine what it looks like even without looking at it. It talks about the different kind of attacks that it has, uh, like Zord features, for example, on the Tyrannosaurus Zord. Additional attack type, it has a feature combiner, which means it's going to be the core body of, uh, of the Megazord. You know, when you have your Power Rangers color, different things from sort of your color spectrum can influence the Zord. Okay, I mean, that makes sense. It's my understanding on this that if you wanted to, you might be able to tweak some things. Like, for example, in the stat block for the Mastodon, it says prerequisite Black Ranger. So it's telling you right there you have to have the Black Ranger for it. Now, just in my reading of this, I see no reason why that has to be. You just have to sort of deconstruct the stat block a little bit, pull out the stuff that is sort of unique to the Black Ranger. And if you wanted to have a red Mastodon, you could. You know, why not just make it part of the Ranger stat blocks where it's like, oh, these are these are the Ranger features that will go along with your Zord. Why make it Zord specific for the individual? Yeah, and especially when you start thinking about teams that maybe have a color that another team doesn't have, but you want to use that Zord, it makes it a little unnecessarily weird and complicated. Which feels like a balancing decision, but I'm getting, I'm starting to get the read that that's not necessarily their primary focus here. N no, not really. Um, at, at least not, not the feeling that I got from reading through it, honestly. Um, I didn't feel like balance really went into a lot of it. Now there's definitely a lot of give and take 
with um, the different color spectrums and the modifiers and the level up growth and stuff like that that you get from those. But again, just the on rails feeling of it just really that feels like that's what's driving a lot of these decisions rather than like you were saying um, choice. We have our we have our Zords. How. How do you keep somebody from cheesing Zords like what is the limitation? Do you have spell slots where you can only summon your Zord so often per day or what is it? You can it takes like an, an, a full action to summon your Zord uh, in battle. And, you know, there's the whole Power Rangers code of how you can't escalate the battle unless they do first. So you can't just summon the Dragon Zord and have it stomp on somebody. Uh, <laughs> so everybody's got to summon their Zord. It takes an action for the Zord to get there. And then there's a timer on combining it. Um, and then everybody has to work in concert. Like everybody controls their part of the Zord, basically, if you're in the Megazord form. Interesting. So you can. Is it like a rule thing that you can't summon your Zord until the foe escalates to that level of combat? I mean, it's a canon thing that you can't do that because Zordon would probably be like, you're fired if you did that. <laughs> Because it, it talks about how you have to be worthy of the power and maybe the power will leave you or Zordon will take it from you if you don't act honorably. So really, it's just basically saying, hey, this is a Power Rangers game, so try to behave like a Power Ranger. I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing. I've, I've played at a great many tables. I have a hard time believing there won't always be that one guy who's like, well, I summoned my Zord then. And the GM has to be like, well, we're not. All right. We will get to Zord summoning. We're not there yet. We uh -huh. will get there. And then that guy's like, oh, but there's nothing in the rules that says I can't just summon my Zord right now. So I'm, I'm going to summon my Zord. Like, I don't see why I wouldn't summon my Zord. I mean, I think at that <laughs> point, if you were running the game, you could just be like, well, your Zord thinks you're a jerk because <laughs> you're wasting its time because there's no reason to call it. Because uh, that's the thing, like in, in Japan... The Zords are all sentient. The Zords in Zhu Ranger were literally God broken up into seven different pieces. Whoa. So they're not just robots. Like they have minds and souls to a certain degree. It's more of an Evangelion rather than uh, just a straight up robot to a certain extent. All right. That is not something I had ever realized. And I love the concept of somebody being like, I summon my Zord. And it's like, your Zord doesn't, your Zord doesn't summon. Why doesn't it? Because it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, you... you're not worthy. That's why. <laughs> it's like Thor's hammer. It it wants an appropriate threat to be a challenge to it before it will it will show up. Yeah. So, so you gotta wait. <laughs> so that's how you stop somebody from just being like, "Well, I just summoned my Zord," <laughs> and crush their heads. So that you know, that's sort of the the condensed version of the Zords and the Megazords. Um, you know, when you form the Megazord, it's got a stat block that's made up of all its constituent Zords. Like I said earlier, you get to choose what your Zord contributes to the Megazord. Uh, so you choose a, you pick a trait that they add onto it. Something I've seen at the very least in parody series, which I'm curious if they decided to include in here, is there any kind of like property destruction mechanic where it's like, don't, level a city fighting this giant monster like try and keep it out into uncivilized areas so that head you're out not... to the old quarry <laughs> <laughs> um i didn't see anything like that um 
it would be fun if you were running it, have a sort of maybe like a liaison with the city that talks to the Power <laughs> Rangers and gives them a bill. They're like, well, y'all are always walking around with these flashy gold coins in your belts. Maybe you could throw some of those our way so we can rebuild the financial district. Zordon's like, that's not really our thing. <laughs> the check is in the Morphin grid. <laughs> um, and then beyond that, there is, you know, because it, it, it goes from Zords and into combat. And I don't want to get too into detail with combat because you could really get lost in a lot of crunch there. But suffice to say, it feels very 5e, but they've put some like unique sauce on it in a couple of spots. But if all if you're looking for 5e combat, you're going to feel relatively at home with that. Which, again, makes me feel like, why did we break away from 5e as a system? Or at the very least, why did we claim we were breaking away from 5e as a system? Yeah, I really I still don't understand that at all. Um, and then it's got a back section with locations like the community park, the stone quarry, um, uh, another community park uh, in a different town. Um, a lot of stuff in Angel Grove, the juice bar, the youth center, Angel Grove High School, all this stuff. And this is, again, just feeding back into what I was saying about how they really overly focused on Mighty Morph- the Mighty Morphin era on things. There are a lot of different places they could have gone and done. I can understand why they wouldn't want to dump all those in the first core rulebook. It just feels too much focused on Angel Grove. And we'll get into a reason why I don't understand that in a minute. Uh, But then they've got a a bestiary in the back. And my big issue with that is it's basically just the monsters from the really early episodes of Power Rangers, like the first maybe like 10 or 12. They're kind of the Zhu Ranger had really goofy monsters to begin with. Uh, but the ones at the beginning always felt goofier to me, like uh, Pinoctopus and the clown that turned people into like cardboard cutouts of things. <laughs> uh, it does have the stat block for the Snizzard, which infamously is the monster for which uh, Walter White himself, Brian Cranston, did the voice. Brian Cranston, who later went on to play Zordon in the Power Rangers uh, <laughs> reboot movie in like 2018, I think. I just love the concept of the Snizzard being like, we've got to cook, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot more interesting monsters. There are a lot more goofy monsters uh, from different seasons. Uh, like Die Ranger was a much more mythologically focused show. It was focused on like Chinese mythology. And that was the season that came after Shoe Ranger. It was the one where we got the White Ranger suit from. And they had a lot of really interesting monsters you could adapt. You actually see some of those in the Thunderzord fights in the second season of Power Rangers. Um, you can tell like the design is a lot different because uh, they were doing something a little bit different thematically. Uh, but they've got a bunch of stat blocks for a lot of those things in here. Um, then they've got an adventure in the back, like an initial adventure that you can run. So... As core rule books go, this really has everything that you need to get rolling. Just for me, it wasn't exactly what I wanted out of this. But since I didn't make it, that's why. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. I do, as someone who appreciates a well-rounded monster block section, uh, 10 doesn't sound like a lot. 10 sounds a little sparse to me. But... If it's, I guess if it's 10 and they give you enough structure in those 10 
to get an idea of how to build your own, then I suppose that works. There are actually 18 listings in here, but some of them are repeats. Like there's the normal putty patroller, then there's the changeling putty patroller, and then there's the Z putty, which was the highest level of putty patroller. And then there was like, there are like two pinoctopus, there's two polluticorns because they have normal and grown for some of those when the monster gets uh, bigger. Yeah. I don't count those as separate monsters because those are just monsters for a separate fight style. Yeah, okay, then we've got about 10. <laughs> we've got about like, 10. That's, ah, that hurts me. That hurts me a little bit. I mean, yeah. like, again, it's not I great. Get, they were limited on time, clearly. Um, they kind of they threw things together a little bit. They're doing expanded materials. I would hope that some of that is putting together digital assets that people can use without needing to pay for them. But, you know, we we discovered a little bit earlier that Renegade Con was like two days ago. Uh, it was like a virtual con where they did some announcements for their upcoming products. And I have actually popped onto their website and seen some of these. Uh, so it's listed some other stuff that's coming out um, there, for example, is the um, GM screen and adventure pack for 28 bucks that has an additional adventure and it's got the GM screen. Um, they've got a deluxe six player core rule set for $300 where you get six core rule books, but they're all, the books are all like uniform color on the covers for the six colors. So that's cool. You get in, they say in Q2, they're going to be releasing the adventures in angel grove book, which again, they knew they were releasing that. So why are we so angel grove heavy in this core rule book? Because that seems like a little bit of an overload because I feel like they're just going to expand on the stuff that they've already listed in here and get me to pay $30 for it. There, there was a Twitter question recently, which was, do you prefer core rule books to have a setting or not? And the more we get into this being really Angel Grove focused, the more I'm like, I think core rulebooks could do without a full setting. Do yeah. your settings in your supplements. Yeah, um, <laughs> they got they got minis coming out for this. And we should mention that this like, you know, they also produced the Heroes of the Grid board game that came out, um, which was very, very popular and also very expensive. So that's why I haven't bought it yet. Um, <laughs> So there's minis that you can get. There's a dice bag and a dice set that comes with a power coin that's on pre-order right now. So that'll be coming out soon. To check out the PDFs, the character, the form fillable character sheets are available for free on their website. One thing I didn't mention is that your characters get a character sheet and then your Zords get a character sheet too. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, it helps you keep track of everything, especially since they're essentially familiars that level up five times more slowly than you do. I mean, if you look at, oh, I don't know, the Star Wars RPG from Fantasy Flight Games, uh, that also has a separate character sheet for any vehicles you have because your vehicles are so different from your characters. At least this isn't a dice pool system. I'll say that. <laughs> and, you know, we would be really remiss probably. Not, we mentioned this, um, I think it was last episode or the episode before, um, Alter Arms, the sort of indie Super Sentai system that we saw at MAGFest earlier this year by that guy. Wasn't it, wasn't it Duffy Austin? Yes, it was Duffy Austin. You're right. But um, he has been working on this system for several years. 
It handles the scalability between on the ground battles and Zord battles. It's got it's got material for uh, metal heroes, common riders, um, sailor guardians, uh, all that sort of classic Japanese stuff. He's got a Discord uh, where you can download the essentially the beta version of it because he's still working on it. He's taking it around to cons. He's taking it to Katsukon, awesome con. He's sort of uh, based around the same East Coast area that we are. So he's taking it out and he's te- play testing it with people. So it's something to check out. Go to alterarms.com to check that out. Uh, Cause like to support indie creators. Uh, we may even try to have him on if he wants to come talk about it a little bit. I think, and I say this just because I've read through some of the material that he's released. I haven't had a chance to read through all of it. I think his, the kernel of his idea is a little bit closer to what I was wanting. I would have just preferred to have it sort of in this form factor already. If that makes sense. Something a little more simplified, a little more essentialized. Yes, exactly. Because when we yeah. when we talked to him, like it sounded like he's really thought it through and worked on it a lot. But it's one of those systems where there's like a lot of stuff to keep track of and a lot of tweaking and things like that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Just in in a world with limited time, uh, it's it's nice to be able to just pick up something that's relatively easy to figure out. Yeah, well, and in fairness to him, like his is not a released series yet, so it's entirely possible that before he releases it, he's going to take a lot of those elements and try and really squeeze the juice out of them. And I encourage, like I said, I encourage everybody to go check out Alter Arms. We'll put a link to his website and his Discord in uh, the show notes on that. But it's it's definitely worth taking a look at. But so if I had to if I had to give uh, like a star review for this, I would give. Uh, Renegade game system, uh, or excuse me, Renegade Studios, Power Rangers role-playing game, a three and a half out of five, I think, because it 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 gave me a lot of it gave me a lot of the flavor that I was looking for. If we look at it as a bunch of potato chips, you know, they gave me some barbecue chips and they gave me some sea salt kettle cooked chips. But maybe I also wanted some of those uh, prime rib and horseradish chips, and they didn't give me that. Uh, and they told me the order I had to eat them in. You know, so it's all good. I just want to be able to make my own decisions on things. I think that's a perfectly reasonable complaint. And not having read the book itself, I'm not going to try to give it a star rating. But I will say, like, based on what I've heard, I have similar frustrations with it. And I. You know, I I really want a core system to be something that's very flexible and very easy to make do precisely what I want it to do. Obviously, it's a Power Rangers system. It needs to work within Power Rangers universes, but I would I would want it to already be something that works with any Power Rangers series or any Super Sentai series. Yeah. It, it needed to be it needed to be a transforming heroes book that happens to be branded Power Rangers. Exactly. And it it doesn't have to include metal heroes. It doesn't have to include common riders. I get like having that stuff be supplementary. I totally get it. But give me the flexibility to do you're you're giving me the Zord flexibility. That's great. Give me the rest of that flexibility. Mm-hmm. And there could even be a little bit more Zord flexibility. I would lo- I would have appreciated a Zord building tool. Um, so you don't have to 
choose from this proscripted list of Zords on there. BYOZ. Yeah, I would have preferred uh, Renegade Take Note because this is how you'll continue to get my money. <laughs> I want a supplement that deals with nothing but building out your own team with their theme and their Zords and everything. I'd pay a dollar for that. I'd probably pay $20 for that. And kind of kind of on the tail end of this, like we're we're talking a little bit about appreciation for what we have in hand. I will say uh Renegade Game Studios, you shot you shot your shot and you made you created something. We would love to refine that thing to be something mm-hmm. slightly different from what you have. But overall, it's a great product. So I couldn't I I could not not recommend this to somebody who's interested in tabletop role playing games and Power Rangers, because it will allow you to have a lot of fun playing a tabletop role playing game in which you are a Power Ranger. And it is a built and finalized system that is currently supported and will have more stuff coming out for it in the near future. Exactly. So, Josh, when are you going to invite me over to watch more Super Sentai? (laughs) <laughs> i think the last time we Dude. did that was pre-pandemic oh it was beyond pre-pandemic that was it's like two, that long. was like two apartments ago for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was i brought over my die ranger dvds and we watched a couple of episodes including one in which a bunch of puppets got a handgun and were chasing people around and crashing <laughs> cars into them <laughs> that could have been a monster block this is what i'm talking about <laughs> Next time I'll bring over Jetman, which is very serious, and Car Ranger, which is the stupidest. <laughs> fun, fun fact, fun fact about the differences between Super Sentai and their uh, American counterparts. Power Ranger Zeo was adapted from Choriki Sentai O-Ranger, and O-Ranger was designed to be a very, very serious, mature Sentai series, which is odd because it's a children's show. But... Um, after a few episodes, because they don't like they don't film all these and then just have them sitting and then air them. They're like they're churning these out like as they're airing. So the sarin gas attack happened. This was in the 90s when the Japanese subway was attacked, had that gas attack. And so immediately like that was way too close to a lot of the thematics that they were going for. So they had to change the tone immediately so that's why O-Ranger is regarded as a bit of a sort of an uneven series because it was designed to be really super serious and then they had um then that went to Car Ranger which was the following year and Car Ranger in Japan it's what became uh Power Rangers Turbo here it's it's just not serious at all that's the one with Signal Man the space cop from from the police planet who comes to write <laughs> tickets uh, it's not serious at all. And it Car Ranger was the thing that rejuvenated Super Sentai in Japan because after O-Ranger, it had like low ratings and there was uh, a question as to whether or not it would continue. But Car Ranger completely rejuvenated it, whereas Power Rangers Turbo was almost the thing that killed Power Rangers in the United States because they were planning for Power Rangers in Space to be the final season to just sort of cap off the Zordon story because the ratings were going were going down because Turbo was not well received because it had like the Blue Ranger became a child that grows big when he transforms and nobody liked that. It was very much a sort of uh, Anakin Skywalker Phantom Menace kind of thing that people didn't care for. That's a little um, spooky as well. But Power Rangers in Space, they brought back a lot of the old writers and everything and made it 
something great. Like it's legitimately a great season of television. And but they tied it up in such a way that they had to sort of end the Zordon story. So that's why all the seasons after that, they adopt the Super Sentai model of just changing the teams and the costumes every year at that point, because they're like, well, I guess we just kind of have to move on now that we've rejuvenated this franchise. I mean, that makes finding footage of the suits you're currently using a little easier, at least. And then another little interesting bit of trivia there is uh, Ginga Man, which is what came after um, Car Ranger. Uh, it or no, that Ginga Man came after Mega Ranger. Mega, Ra- all right, I'll start with Mega Ranger. <laughs> uh, just just talking about talking about bad adapt like weird adaptations. So I talked about how the the tone was different between the counterparts for um, Zio and uh, Power Rangers Turbo. So Mega Ranger, which was adapted here as Power Rangers in space, did not take place in space. It actually took place inside computers. The team, the the teams uh, were like computer powered, essentially. All the space scenes were basically like a virtual reality. But when the writers who were adapting that for the American series were writing the scripts, they were writing it as it was airing. So they were only seeing bits and pieces of it. So they were seeing these space battles. They were like, awesome, it's going to be a space season. So let's write it all about space. And then they get it. They're like, (laughs) what? (laughs) So that's why a lot of the the space stuff in the battles look the same because there was a lot of reused footage on that. And that's why the Power Rangers kept having to come back to Earth because like the the whole point of the season was they were searching for Zordon. But I guess they just did it on the weekends because they kept coming back to Earth to go to high school Uh, (laughs) because of that mismatch. And then the season that came after that, which was Seiju Sentai Ginga Man, which was based on sort of like nature and these cosmic beasts and things like this. It dealt with like a mystical forest or whatever. That is what was adapted in the United States as Power Rangers Lost Galaxy, which is about a space station that's that's headed to another star system for humans to colonize. So the conceit is that it's a giant biome and the forest is inside, like the forest is inside it. And all the like on earth type footage is just them in this biome in space. Oh my God. Oh, that's so (laughs) wild. Yeah. A lot of the seasons after that hewed a little bit closer to what the original ones were. Cause like in Jew Ranger, the rain, the the Sentai team was uh, a tribe of dinosaur humans who were put in suspended animation for millions of years. And like I said, the Zords were actually God, but broken into seven parts. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of amazing, but also like. Oh, man, Japanese media is just so wild sometimes. It really is. You should you should definitely watch more Super Sentai with me. The show notes on this are, the show notes on this episode are just going to be nuts because we're just all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I should never have volunteered to edit this. But anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you in two weeks. I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. All right, this has been Morphin Time. Everybody, have a nice evening. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Hey everyone, Brandon here. This one ran a little bit long, so thanks for sticking around with it. We hope you enjoyed it. 
If there's anything you all would like us to review or talk about, just shoot us a message, contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter. We really want to hear from you. We really want to do some stuff that y'all are interested in, so make sure you let us know what you want to hear. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Some more time!